thank you for joining me for episode four of First Drafts That Glow, a short story writing project by me. Um, the first three episodes, totally sci-fi. This, this is fantasy. I know you're into it. I know you're into it. Um, it was kind of pointed out that I might be stuck. Um, and, you know, that happens. As a writer, I get uh, kind of caught up in um, certain types of stories and certain types of characters. And, you know, I, I figured, let's go out of the comfort zone there. So that's what we're doing. Um, my hair is getting longer, so it is getting a bit more manageable. I do wish it would just grow or like something. I just, it is at this really awkward stage and I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Um, but anyways, so I want to thank everybody who sent me like happy messages about the previous episodes. Um, there's not a lot of views on them right now, so like and subscribe. That would be super great if you could like and subscribe because I want a URL that isn't a mess of weird characters. Anyways, I, I, I have fun doing this. I hope you have fun listening. Um, after this episode, I am going to ask which one of these four that I've done so far you want me to polish up and uh, package as a more professional uh, audiobook um, with less errors and, um, you know, some fixes here and there. Because, like I said, these are all flash fictions. These are all first draft quality. Um, but I think um, they're good anyways. But if we do this, I might get somebody else to read it. Um, because, you know, you... you you get to look at this uh, when I read. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Or, I may do a voice. Yeah, I don't know what that was. Ignore that. Ignore that. Okay, anyways. Today's uh, story is called Midnight Cats. Um, again, it is a fantasy story, unlike the previous three, which were science fiction. Um, there is obviously influence from Dungeons and Dragons. There's a little bit of influence from Pathfinder. There's um, like just general uh, fantasy influence that happens here. Uh, so I don't want um, any specific uh, uh, mindset about like the races of elves, dwarves, humans, um, or the um, kind of limitations of how your headcanon or how your campaign sets up uh, certain things because this is my fucking story this is my world and if you don't like it you know on your bike but you want to sit here and watch me read that's why you came here like and subscribe all right <laughs> <laughs> I really should script these openers, but, you know, fuck it. And as you can see, I didn't turn on my, um, 
globe, my happy lamp, uh, because it was obnoxiously bright last time. Uh, but I just I decided to leave it there. Um, and I was going to decorate this space, but I got distracted as well. So maybe next time. Or I might change the wall that I filmed this against. Like, But anyways. Midnight Cats, A First Draft Set Glow Story by me, Avon. The necromancer is going to be ready for us. The gleaming paladin armor nearly as loud as his voice booms in the cave. Shielding her eyes with one hand and waving the other over the blue fire to lessen it. Do you have some kind of enchantment on your armor to make it reflect light like that? Looking over his silver armor with an exaggerated frown. Well, I recall putting a reflect evil spell on it last week. I did get a boon from my god just before then, so spells may be lasting longer than I'm used to. Standing, bowing his head and muttering, the armor dulls slightly. I've dispelled it for the night. I will have to renew it once we enter the shadow caves. Yes, that is fine. Raising her hands over the fire, pulling on invisible strings, making it jump higher. It is cold in this cave. I just need to have the flame a bit larger for the warmth. This amazes me. With a name like Ice Fire, I would have imagined you to be into cold temperatures. The soft metal sounds adding some music to his words as he arranges his meditation altar. My people are forced to endure the extremes before Vaser decides what our souls are able to withstand and how we may serve. Rolling out a large arrangement from an impossibly small bedroll, Icefire smiles wide. Yes, well, we humans are not as durable as dwarf elves. After a pause, she smiles again. Now that I think about it, how does that even work? Sitting on a large cushion in front of a small table with an arrangement of items and burning a cube of incense, Woodstone's face shows a hard thinking with a creased brow. If you are asking how the Dwarf and Elf Union came about, it was Vaser, and the blessings bestowed upon our founders after the last age ended. It was a terrible time. As you know, the human and Dwarf relations had turned sour, and many Elven kind turned their backs on the Dwarves in fear of being the target of humans in a similar way. Lowering his head, Woodstone sniff, sniffs deeply through his nose. This is when nearly all dwarf kind was deciding if it was time to end the dwarves in the land forever. Icefire walks over to hand her companion an apple. I am so sorry. I did not know that. I've only heard of the myths my people tell, and many human stories do not paint the dwarf kind in a positive light. I figured it was nothing like what I was told, but to know your ancestors might have killed themselves off out of despair is just... Gosh, I'm so sorry. She knew that Woodstone and his people were empathic, but it was just but was just now understanding how deep that seemed to go. With a shift in sitting position, raising his head higher, he eats the entire apple in three bites. My thanks, I am fond of the apples from your land. My pleasure. Well as you know, the elf and dwarf history was never great in the last age. It was I was very amused of the song that Bard was singing at the tavern a few nights ago. It was an interesting rewriting of a childhood song from my land. A closed fist knocking in the center of his chest plate. Unlike elf folk in that song, 
There was a small group of elven people that had been hiding and transporting many dwarves through the enchanted lands the humans could not navigate. Even the elder tribes of elves were unaware. Icefire wraps herself in her bedding after setting a bell at her feet. I've read about those tribes of elves. Didn't they gain freedom from human slavery a few generations before the war? Yes, they were helping the dwarven people. These elves were shunned by the so-called noble bloodlines of the enchanted realms, many of them having human blood or a total separation from the enchanted threads, or both. Icefire sits up a little. Wait, there's human in your people's blood? Very little. The human slavers would use some of the female elf kind as playthings and were mainly unconcerned with any offspring. Gosh, that's news to me, but it makes sense. Even in the north, the nobles are often fighting claims of bastard children from the mines and farms of the poor. Icefire lays back down. I'd like to think my people are not capable of such things these days. Woodstone smiles wide. This was long ago. So much has changed. I only know because Vaser grants, grants his paladins with this living memory. I dream about all of this every night. Clearing his throat, he spits into the fire bits of apple seed. After the war, the noble elf councils discovered what these lesser elves had done and banished them from the enchanted lands into the unknown regions of the Shadow Gods. Once the elves convinced the remaining dwarves to come with them, everything started changing, and that's when most considered this age to have begun. And they established in the shadows, and Vaser was found to be a god of the heart and not shadow, and granted protection and prosperity to, to your people. Oh, well, that's Icefire. Oops. <laughs> Icefire says, raising her hand in the air, waving them about. You know the rest, it seems. Yes, this is the case. The lands of the Shadow Gods proved to be the lands of heart and mind, and was feared by both human and elven peoples. I suppose it was not something either race wished to confront in those times. To be fair, the necromancer and his kind did come from the darker parts of those lands. That they did, Woodstone nods. To think humans and elven folk that tried to wipe the rest of the dwarven people out instead found the gods of death and disease just feels poetic. Being cursed in such a way must be painful. What a wonderful story and thought to sleep to, Icefire says with enough sharpness to cut. Well, my beautiful friend, you did ask, shifting on his cushion and positioning his shoulders back. Now we must rest. Your bell will alert us if anyone comes near as always, yes? Yes, rest well, Woodstone. Rest well, Icefire. Soft orange and red light reflect off the cave walls, bringing both to the waking world. Woodstone standing to perform a series of exercises and prayers almost the second his eyes fully open. Icefire resetting the campfire while pulling out a few items wrapped in thick green leaves from a small pouch not nearly large enough to hold even one of them. The fire crackles as the wrapped items float slightly above the fire. Icefire taps her head as she stands, shaking slightly. Flakes fall from her face, arms, and clothing, collecting into a ball before sending itself into the fire. Her face and clothing both looking refreshed and clean. Woodstone planing his broadsword down as he kneels and begins, and begins to glow slightly. 
A popping sound follows the dispersal of the light, and the smell of grass and moss with flowers fills the cave. Flicking one finger towards one of the leaf-wrapped items, Icefire calls to Woodstone. The hot potato dance was her last, as Woodstone never took off his gloves or his armor. With, with a come-here movement, the other leaf wrap moves towards Icefire, unwrapping itself in floats just close enough for her to bite into it. What are we eating today, Icefire? The innkeeper said it was meat pie the farmers of the region are fans of. It's, uh, some tropical fruits with cow and potato bread. After another bite, after another bite, it is sweet without being overpowering and has a nice meaty flavor. Eh, you may wish to add salt. I think our water supply is going to run out if we do not find a stream and I use salt like I do at home. Taking half the chunk of food in his mouth, he smiles with tight lips. I can purify any fluid into a drinkable water in a pinch if it comes to it. With that, Woodstone produces a small pouch and pours some of the white crystals into his mouth and covers the remaining bit in his hand with a thick top layer of salt. Good! The full mouth words spitting a few crumbs into the air. Icefire packed up her things into small packs and pouches arranged on her belt. Woodstone worked at filling his pack with his folding altar and holy items while singing praises to Vaser. Leaving the cave, they both did a survey of the land before agreeing to continue as they were the day before. <laughs> Excuse me. The darker color of the stone and soil was more disturbing to Icefire than Woodstone. Of the two, she was not used to this region with the mountain and valley ratio. The lack of flowers and trees gave the path ahead and the sun a harsh edge. Some of the soil and rocks was reflective and gave off a sour odor when the noon heat started. It was just before Icefire expected Woodstone to request stopping for food, she noticed the shift in the number of caves in the valley floor and the mountain walls ahead. She had gotten used to his patterns. Whenever he stopped singing praises to his god, he was getting hungry. Look. Look, those... <laughs> That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. These look to be the cave systems we were told house... House... <laughs> These look to be the cave systems we were told house the followers of the necromancer, Woodstone says through the last bites of his lunch. Icefire looks over the small table of potion materials and enchanted trinkets. I'm trying to decide if we'll need light or offensive spells on hand. I, I can offer light with my armor. Do you have anything to protect your eyes? The armor spell does get more intense as we encounter more evil. I have this. Icefire produces a wooden eye covering that seems impossible to look through. It is from a blessed tree at the Lake of Joy. Woodstone frowns. The keepers of that lake still allow humans to harvest the endless tree? Not really. It is a few hundred years old. It was a gift from the royal collection to aid in this mission. They will prevent anything false or harmful to reach my real eyesight. Quite useful when fighting a necromancer, Woodstone smiles. 
Forgive me, my envy was getting better of me. What do you mean? I didn't think you sounded envious. Woodstone begins to speak and stop himself. After a moment, he takes a deep breath. That lake was the one my people were born next to in the first stage, the elf side of my people. It was why they were enslaved by the humans and why the noble houses of the Enchanted Land were fine with the enslaving of that elf family line. Oh shit, that's not in any history book. Icefire takes the eye covering off. I had no idea. Nor should you. As I said, Vaser has the entire history of our people living in my head. Things I did not know before being caused to think about them are suddenly known to me. I'm used to it. That was such a long time ago, it is one of the weakest of memories. Well, when we are done with this, asshole, I'll give it to you. No need for that. It is just an item. It is not a tool of destruction or malice. It will be useful for you for many years to come. Icefire stands and bows. I thank you for your generous blessing. Looking over the quick camp she had set up for lunch, shall we do our things and then continue? Aye, Woodstone adjusts his seated position, setting his sword standing in front of him. His prayers start in a muttering hum. Icefire looks over the camp and sighs. Okay, Harvey, get it all cleaned up. Tapping a small glass jar wrapped in leather, the lid opens and smoke pours out, taking shape in a smaller version of Icefire. It's monochrome gray and purple marbled skin. Monochrome. <laughs> it's gray and purple marbled skin and closing, collecting all the light around it, causing a shadow to follow its every move. It glares up to ice fire. No attitude. Get it done and you can go back to sleep. Ice fire folds her legs and begins to levitate slightly off the ground and she closes her eyes to refocus her, her, her energies for the rest of the day. After a few moments, the bell ring has Woodstone and Icefire standing with attacks ready. A small group of goblin kind just beyond the next ridge moving slowly towards them is barely visible. Woodstone whispers, Can I remember? Would they hear the bell? No. When I said it, I tell it to only sound to our inner mind and not our ears. Amazing spells and trinkets you have, Icefire. Woodstone says a bit louder. Icefire feels a slight rush in her cheeks. Why, thank you, Woodstone. I see them in two groups. Could be five or more in each group. It's hard to tell. Yes, I'm worried that my armor is not brighter. I wonder if they are neutral in soul. I will make some of my spells and powers not terribly effective. I'm sure they're using evil items. Icefire taps the jar on her belt as the smoke rises back into it. If anything, I can throw a fireball down there. Now, if you want me to, Woodstone considers. How many times can you cast that? Uh, twice. It takes some of my core strength to cast, and it leaves me a bit weak for a few moon cycles. Save it, then. I'll rush them, and you pick off any that get by me. Following close by, Icefire prepares a few spells in her mind and grabs a few rings with charges. Woodstone prays for a blessing and guidance as they rush the group to the right first. The blur of movement from the goblins when the first two were cut in half by Woodstone was blinding as the group shaman was seemingly masking the evil the creatures contained. Icefire quickly put on the wooden eye protection as the paladin's armor began to shine like the sun.
Two of her rings activated as a rain of stone arrows began to disintegrate inches from her body while sending out shafts of blue fire along the same path. The smell of burning goblin fresh flesh was acrid and foul. Woodstone was reminded of war rooms filled with wounded. Icefire was new to this adventuring and felt that newness as her mouth became hot. They both pushed through the memories and discomfort as the second group attacked. One of the goblins in the second group was larger and had the arms and torso that seemed more like an orc. Woodstone was having trouble deflecting and striking the barbarian style of fighting with this level of ferocity and strength. The other four had been visibly shaken by the quick death of the other group. Two were preparing spells and the other two were rushing Icefire. Icefire, fishing in one of her impossibly deep packs on her belt, pulled out a blue glass container, smashed it between her hands. Her body became consumed by a white fire as she grew slightly. She roars to the sky before her fingers grow massive iron nails. The goblins rushing her have little time to react, making the mistake of hesitating. Out of the corner of his eye, while gaining ground on his attacker, Woodstone notices the nearly divine power that Icefire was wielding. His heart gains strength from this display as his next blow to the goblin orc abomination throws it off balance to slide down the hill. Woodstone quickly recites a prayer for Icefire and himself <clears throat> as he leaps down to attack the heinous barbarian. Icefire sees a shower of black-tinged green blood shower from the torn bodies of the two that had tried attacking her, one of the daggers firmly in her right leg without showing, slowing her down. The two spellcasters looking panicked as whatever cantrip they were re reciting was not going to be finished soon enough to save them. Icefire roared again as the white fire begins to sh uh, shine brighter. As she rushes the goblin spellcasters, the orcish goblin lands on her back, swinging its massive sword around to try to cut her neck. Woodstone tackles them both from behind, sending the ball of fire and gleaming metal directly towards the goblin spellcasters. As if seeing the future, the goblins lower their shoulders and heads as Icefire's larger, uh, as, as Icefire's larger fire-drenched body slams into them with the weight of the two warriors behind her. Sliding down the hill on the, uh, on the two bodies of slick, torn goblins, Icefire covers her head as she tries to stop herself with her feet. Woodstone and the orc goblin both flip off further down and tumble to the bottom. The aggression in fire leaves Icefire from her mouth in the form of a slick rock laced with crystal before turning to ash. The dagger in her leg begins to throb as her body returns to normal. The pain blinds her for a moment as she places one of the rings in a, on, on her necklace in her mouth. Slowly, the stones on it dissolve. The pain and discomfort leave her senses faster than the dissolving. Woodstone, yelling out down the hill. Woodstone, are you down there? She tries her best not to slip on various stone textures of the hill as she works her way down. At the bottom, she sees the orc goblin head a few feet from its body with its own bladed gauntlet appearing to have been the culprit. A few feet from there was Woodstone, with the orcish blade embedded within his shoulder, holding him off the ground in an awkward fashion. Woodstone! 
Breathing slowly and unevenly, Woodstone tries his best to shift himself to help Icefire as she pushes him off the blade. His movements, not holding the same power, cause them both to land off to the side. Icefire pulls back, pulls the blade from Woodstone's shoulder as blood begins to ooze out quickly. Without a word, she unbuckles and unties the chest plate and the arrangements on the shoulders off. Woodstone tries to move his hand to stop her and tries to speak, arms falling off to the sides as his voice fades slightly. Stay with me. Pray to your God for a little grace while I treat your wounds, you idiot. Icefire removes two rings from her necklace and quickly digs out another glass container from her pouch. One of the rings she places in Woodstone's mouth under his tongue and the other she puts on her right pinky finger. The small pink container makes a popping sound as she loosens the cork and it fizzes out a little. She pours the solution over the wound as she continues to remove the bulky armor and layers of leather and fabric. When she reaches the last layer and is looking at bloodstained cotton tunic, looking at the bloodstained cotton tunic, he grabs her arm as she reaches to lift it off him. No, a rasp laden plea. Leave it on, please. Icefire touches his forehead with her right pinky and he fades slightly into a look of comfort. I'm sorry, my friend. I must clean out the wound before I can help you heal it. Blade likely had some magical toxins upon it. Lifting off his shirt, she produces another glass container, placing it on his chest. It dissolves into an even layer of foam that wraps itself around his entire torso, up to his jawline and down to his waist. After a moment, the green foam lets off a mossy smell. Icefire tears it from the neck in the center, opening it to reveal a clean Opening, opening it to reveal clean skin with the wound covered in another layer of moss remaining, preventing more bleeding. What in the realms? Icefire notices two scars on his chest. Both look like surgical scars and evenly placed. Woodstone, were you? Trailing off, she smiles. We have a good deal in common, my friend. I would never have guessed. The sun had set, and the supplies were laid out as best as she could manage. The camouflage tent Woodstone had brought along was not large enough for both of them to set up as they would have liked, and Woodstone laying down took up much of the available space. After setting the bell right outside of the entrance of the tent, she notices Woodstone moving to drink some of the water and quickly drink the spicy broth ice fire left floating close to the flame. That's why we're here. How do you feel, my friend? She says slowly. Looking around, registering the situation first, then finishing the broth. You are a talented healer as well as a spellcrafter. I thank you for your aid and kindness. Looking down at his body covered by a blanket and shifting slightly. Am I, un am I undressed? His face turns bright red. He drops the broth bowl, cupping his face his hand with his hands and starts crying you know i'm so ashamed sitting next to woodstone icefire takes his hands and slowly pulls them down why are you crying being an elfin dwarf it's it's hard enough to live with in this world but he trails off but the fact you were born as a woman and are now a man is supposed to be worse icefire says plainly when i face facer my soul was measured, 
that God told me not to fear how I felt and that I would be a most blessed man in his army if I so wanted. My people do not talk about some things. There are a good number that are critical of women that do not wish to carry the dreaming of a child to wake next to the river of hearts. There are more that are critical of men that do not wish to give of themselves for these dreams. Icefire looks, looks over her friend's face. I knew some of the stories of your banished hearts. The ones your people shun because of an inability to love or feel kinship. Are your people really fearful of people like yourself? It's not ideal for the elders. We do not have many children and our numbers grow ever slower each century. Part of how we are born and part of how rare a female is born. Icefire twists her face. Wait. I understand how you people have children can, can you not simply dream the gender when you conceive in a small way yes facer made an arrangement with our ancestor gods to combine the dwarven and elven methods the birth would begin as the dwarf people had done with intimate contact of the bodies the parents would then enter into a dream trance as part of this union and the body as part of this union and the body union. What did I write there? The parents would then enter into a dream trance as part of this union, and the dreams would combine to form next to the river of hearts. The dream would linger for close to a year within the woman like a human child might, without changing the body too much. The couple would occasionally dream about the child, and the hopes and desires of them both would be passed along for the child to accept or discard. So, each child chooses what it wants to be, in a small way. Vaser listens to the child's dreams as it's ready to wake along the river and gives the child a form most fitting to those dreams. Woodstone blushes. This is why I'm ashamed sometimes. I felt as if my mind was weak and unworthy. That's why I was born into a shape I did not feel right with. Icefire prepares some tea and biscuits while Woodstone talks and serves him. I think you are one of the bravest warriors I've ever met. This is your first adventure, you said, he says flatly. A rush of color covers her face. Well, yes, but I've been around many warrior in my life, stuffing her face with sweet treats and chugging the milky tea to wash it all down. Besides, I was a warrior before a spellcrafter. Woodstone sits up a bit more with a cringe and his shoulder pinches a little. You were? What kind of warrior? Why did you choose spellcraft? Well, my friend, I'm very much like you. I was not happy with my body and role in the world. I simply did what I was told for years. One day I realized that my sadness was tied to not being honest with myself and left for mage school at the start of my last year of service to the crown. Producing a few producing a few sticky rolls and teapods um, <laughs> producing it's why we're here right I mean I keep messing up but you know whatever whatevs um, producing a few sticky rolls and teapods and setting them all to heat and simmer while talking the mages took care of me when I proved to be adept at spell work and settled my debts to the crown hence why I'm out here today but you were born a boy when did that change? Realizing it might have been a mistake to ask, I'm so sorry, it is not my right to ask. No, I'm, I'm still getting used to it myself. 
when I look in the reflections I see. That was only about five or so years ago for me. The mages have a thing about being mentally clear. They noticed I was struggling with something inside myself, and they helped me find the path to feeling free, free to think and have the confidence I required to contain the spellcraft I have mastered. Setting up the tea and serving woodstone sticky buns while shoving an entire bun in her mouth. So, she says through the food, I began eating the herbs and potions that would help me feel like me. Draining the tea as, as, with a hard swallow. And here I am, in all of my glory. I'm glad you have shared this. I'm glad to have shared this with you. You are the first outsider I've spoken to about this. It is nice to have a bond like this with a fellow fighting the good fight. Woodstone smiles large. I agree. I've been so worried of the judgments and perceptions. i found many simply do not care, and the two relationships I've had were both wonderful experiences. I'm honored to be your friend, Icefire. I'm equally as honored to be yours, Woodstone. We must rest. I imagine you set us up in one of the cave mouths? Yes. It was a dead end, so the so there's only one approach. Woodstone looks around the tent. Did you manage to secure my your altar and holy items, good sir? Icefire hands the pack over. I'm gonna roll out my mats and blankets and pass out. I'm overdone. Your healing should be in total by the morning. The moss in that ring is likely uh, the moss will dissipate, and that ring is likely fused to the bottom of your tongue by now. That'll be done with what it needs to be. Blah, blah. <laughs> the moss in that ring is likely fused to the bottom of your tongue by now. We'll have done what they need to by then. The what? Touching inside of his mouth, he cringes. Is that literally fused into my tongue? Yeah, it will vanish as the healing spell contained in it runs out of power. How fascinating. Woodstone got them moving just before the sun peeked over the first valley. He had been wrapped in his armor, looking as new and as perfect as ever. Icefire wondered how the god Vaser did some of its boons for Woodstone. The mages never could give a solid answer as to how divine magic worked over spellcrafting, sorcery, and necromancy. Even necromancy was partially divine magic, and there were still some gaps in understanding by the mages that made it a taboo pursuit. Woodstone had a compass that guided them now, <clears throat> now that they were within the borders of the death gods. He had turned his armor into a sleek black and instructed Icefire to wear the wooden face covering to be sure the illusion magic that seemed to have a living essence of its own did not distract her. They crept past a few patrols of demon-infected goblins and undead orcs came across a camp that seemed to harvest a death gate of firestones and walking skeletons. Ice fire saw the restraint Woodstone had to summon when they saw these things. Paladins had a hard enough time being this close to evil of this kind, but to allow the dead to be harvested like this was just an abomination. But they needed to find the necromancer, only one of those every few decades, and they were a problem if left to grow in power. The further they went into the woven system of caves and the underground valleys, the more the air felt and smelled of decay. Both Icefire and Woodstone had sleep greet them in waves, a sure sign to them both that the lair of the necromancer was 
close. We must make camp and prepare before we go further, Woodstone stops and stops them in a space they could block off and be safe in. Agree. I need to rest and prepare a few extra potions and memorize a spell or two. The tent filled the opening and took a texture of the rest of the rock wall. Inside, the low-energy magical flame both produced warmth as well as a soft breeze of fresh-smelling air. The food was a variation on the sweet meat bread they had before, and the teas and sweets felt like they were doing more for their moods than any food could have done. Neither of them talked much. The occasional look at each other was enough to confirm they were both worried and had support of the other, no matter what. After setting up the bell and laying down to sleep, Icefire looked at Woodstone and wondered if he was actually going to rest or do that thing some paladins do, and just be up all night in a vigil. Icefire decides not to leave it to chance. You better rest. The bell will alert us in plenty of time. Opening one of his eyes and frowning, what makes you think? Stopping as his, as Icefire sits up to stare him down, he says, you're right, no macho stuff required. Breaking camp was timed in a way that made them both feel like they had been alerted been alerted just in time. Okay. <laughs> the activity in the underground valley was unnerving, and it had them both agreeing they needed to get to the necromancer sooner than they could do safely. After a brief discussion about how they may disguise themselves to walk amongst the undead and demon-possessed orcs, goblins, and other creatures, they decided to simply risk being seen as they used a wall-walking spell Icefire had never used in a situation outside of school. Woodstone was sure she could do it. She was unsure it would work in a place filled with conflicting magical energies. So we die, Woodstone said after a few back and forth. You are really going to trust that I can do this. Is there nothing your god can do? My god will only grant me boons and spells that directly battle the evil. That will directly battle the evil. Wall walking and shadow maneuvers are not in his realm. Fair enough. Icefire sighs, pulling out a few yards of rope from one of the pouches. Now, there should be enough to walk around an ocean in here. Grab this end, and I will lead. Woodstone wraps the end of the rope around one hand and is given enough to wrap around the other. He nods that he is ready. Icefire pulls another end of rope out, tossing it in front of her. As she steps, the rope extends past the ledge and flattens into a step. Her next step is met with a new step, and so on. Woodstone sees the rope feed from the pouch to their feet and feels tension on his end, pulling him along as she walks slowly. After a few hundred feet, they reach another cave opening high above the visual range of the army below. Icefire cuts the end of the rope that was creating the stairs as creating the stairs as the end Woodstone was holding dissolves. I need to rest for a moment. That was a good amount of focus, and my head is sore. I'll be good in a moment. Icefire sits, putting one of the rings on her necklace in her mouth, and breathes through her nose in a pattern of four in and ten out. Woodstone takes stock of himself. The darker tone of the armor was calling too loud to be bright again. 
He relays a prayer to his god and thanks his semi-sentient armor for being so stalwart through this journey. He kneels with his sword held in front of him and offers a proper prayer to his, ancestral, to his ancestors and his god. Asking for a boon of luck for both him and Icefire and feels the positive reply of it being granted with a fizz sensation in his eyelids. Removing one of the holy items from his pack, he sets it before himself and thanks the god for the blessing and watches the item crumble to ash as the ash itself vanishes. As if it was timed out to the second, they both stand and look renewed and rested. Woodstone hands a small flower to Icefire. This is a boon of luck for my god for you. I will be allowing my armor to shine again when we enter a range of the necromancer. Be sure to put on the wooden eye covering again. Uh, what do I do with the flower? You taking it from me is the only required action for you to receive the boon. I saw your Bowser head taking the flower and feeling the same fizz sensation as Woodstone. She quickly places the bloom in one of her many pouches. That was an interesting feeling in the eyes. Woodstone smiles and pats her on her shoulder. Aye, now let us kill this tyrant of souls and life. Walking deeper into the web of caves that lace up and down would have given anyone despair. The size of the cave system and the number of vile creatures would have been enough to make anyone quit long before. Icefire thinks about the experience and the bragging rights after this task. She also felt feels that she now has her first real friend outside of the mages guild. Few people were as noble and as trustworthy as Woodstone. Woodstone also felt confident in the new friend he had in this human, a human that had a similar life experience and was not fazed by his life decisions. If only all the elven dwarves could be like her. Woodstone stops them progressing as he begins to hear whispers of his god. The next chamber is the lab of the necromancer. The room has him and a few dozen undead. The door is sealed by a strong magic, but our path through this cave will allow us to drop in behind him. Looking through a few pouches and placing a few rings in her mouth, Icefire nods. She is ready. The gleaming armor shines like a blazing sun, causing the lesser undead in the room to cower in many rotten place, all before hitting the floor from ten stories up. Woodstone creating a large thunder sound as he flatly lands on both feet, causing a small depression in the floor where he lands. Icefire falls back first, with glitter pouring down faster than she falls. Her hands pointing towards the door, she opens her fists, releasing hundreds of paper bees. The glitter supports, supports her, slowly falling, turning to, stand, to a standing position as she lands on her feet the paper bees still flying from her hands, seemingly endless. The necromancer seems to move in slow motion to Woodstone, the advancement, the advancement in his death magic looking like he had crossed into Lich Domain. This made Woodstone happy. The living necromancers were often immune to the holy attacks and the fear of gleaming armor. If he was close to death or already belonged to the death realm, he would be reduced in capacity in the presence of a paladin with gleaming armor and a holy blade. The paper bees began to shred the undead that were still standing, none of them able to understand the, dam the flying paper causing so much damage and making it hard to move forward. Before moments have... Before... 
Before moments have a chance to pass, Icefire stops the flow of paper bees from her hands and spits one of the rings out of her mouth, grasping it with her right hand. Glowing in a green flame, she levels her fingertips towards the undead still standing, trying to wave off the paper bees and softly blows on the back of the back of her hand. <laughs> the fire stream that emits from her hand devours the mindless grunts in a moment. One of the skulls of the undead is thrown, causing her to fall in place after striking her. Not aware of anything but the lich, not aware of anything but the lich necromancer before him, Woodstone throws his arm wide before rushing at the rotting human figure. The necromancer grins, moving his hands in complex shapes as they begin to glow. He claps his hands together in front of him, then opens his arms wide, revealing a tear in space, allowing a fire golem to step through. The laugh of the lich drowned out by the roar of the golem as it pukes a black flame at Woodstone. Holding his blade in front of himself, Woodstone screams a prayer, spitting the, splitting the flame to the side before it touches him. The fire golem swings each arm in front of itself, dragging flaming chains widely arcing from its sides to cross paths, trying to cut Woodstone down. The chains fall limp as they clang with no effect upon the shining armor. The golem roaring at this, dropping the chains, begins to grow large blades from each hand. The lich rises into the air, looking over the events. He sees the falling spell, fallen spellcrafter and sweep towards her. Woodstone hears his blade steam as it cuts off one of the... Bleh. Woodstone hears his blade steam as it cuts off the creature's left arm of fire and lava. The rage of, scream, of the scream of the golem emits, shakes the cavernous room as it widely swings its other blade wildly swings its other blade at Woodstone. The separated arm cooling and turning into obsidian in moments offer a welcome defense from the blow as Woodstone ducks behind it. After the slam of the fire blade above him sounds, he jumps on top of the obsidian arm, swinging to separate the second arm. As that separates from the golem's body, its entire form begins to darken and turn to the same black crystalline stone. Frantically, Looking around, Woodstone sees the lich landing next to Icefire. The lich cuts its wrists with a ragged nail, biting, beginning to drip blood on Icefire's face. Landing in her eyes, her mouth, she begins to regain awareness. Woodstone swings as he reaches the monster, and his blade is stopped by the lich, simply holding it. I think you have lost, my sweet friend. The voice of the lich booms with an impossible power from a weak-sounding whisper. You shall fall, monster! Woodstone pulls from within, offering his strength to his blade and his armor to weaken the Death Lord. You shall fall! The lich's hand dissolves from the blade, the disillusion continuing up the arm, erasing it from the world. Impossible! Woodstone looks to Icefire. Wake, my friend! You must try to rise above the corruption. We have almost we have almost won the day. Inside her head, Icefire feels the argument of life and death, and she feels that life is not going to win. The shadow and darkness seem to feel safer than the brightness than the brightness the elven dwarf is offering. It begins to hurt her when she thinks of the kindness and bonding. The pain of it all echoes louder than any lesion 
than any lesson from school. Those worthless classes and people that never valued her or validated her in any way, always whispering in the shadows that she was role-playing as a girl. Sensing the conflict, Woodstone summons the divine shout to push the lich from being near his friend. The lessening of his core constitution was immediately felt. It had worked. The creature was disoriented and unable to focus itself now. One of its arms completely gone and the damage of the divine word stripping much of its form off its bones. Tearing off his chest plate, he drops it onto Icefire's torso, then rushes the lich's position with a massive leap into the air to close the distance. Landing on top of the foul thing, planting his blade in its guts, he begins to chant the poem of hope and offers more of himself for another uttering of the divine word. Once uttered, Woodstone flies back, landing on his landing on his rear. Icefire feels the warmth and safety of the light and feels herself vomiting and shaking. Some foul curse was leaving her body. The weight of the paladin's chest plate, a welcoming sensation. Sitting up, she sees the lich trying to stand and compose itself as it makes the motions for a spell of destruction. Without thinking, Icefire summons the will to, to cast up fireball. Immediately knowing the room may be too small, but they were so close to ending this thing's time in the realm. The echo of fire consumes the lich, throwing the creature and the fireball upon the furthest wall in a wet-sounding thump, shaking the entire space again, causing the floor to open and the walls to crack. The undead outside clawing now reaching through the cracks in an attempt to gain entry to the chamber that the master had once been in. Woodstone gets up, moving in a crawl to ice fire, both, the, both crawling towards each other and limping, ultimately limping. Hugging the hug of family, they both laugh. Woodstone looks around. Well, do you have a spell to get out? Icefire chuckles as she steps back slightly. She pulls off one of the pouches and tears it open. The black space it produces where it lands is an impossible darkness. After you, she bows in emotion. She bows in emotion to the area. <laughs> That's why we're here, right? Woodstone jumps, vanishing into the darkness, and as Icefire follows. The daylight and general surprise of the people on the town road would have been funny any other day, as well as today, they both thought. Well, you want to go on another adventure, my friend? Woodstone smiles wide at Icefire. Are paladins mind readers now? They hug and laugh as they make, uh, as they make a silent agreement to get drunk, sleep, and bathe, but not necessarily in that order. I really like this story. It, uh, I, I wanted to write two characters that were adventuring together instead of like trying to kill each other or, um, you know, one character trying to save the other or lamenting about another. Like, um, I mean, my first three stories were kind of like that, you know, like the first one, the vampire, uh, you know, put her or put their um, AI into a femme body, 
but that body had to like be shut down. Um, the second one, uh, what was that one? You know, I can't remember. Um, but it doesn't really matter. The, the thing is that all of the episode or yeah, no, no, I remember now. The second one was a sapphic, uh, character who, um, kept referring to her wife who wasn't in the story, uh, just referenced her. Um, and she was not having a good time. <laughs> and then like, obviously last story, um, we had a uh, transmasculine looking for his uh, non-binary uh, partner. Um, and then we end the story with them together. Uh, so I wanted to have a story where we had a team, uh, no romantic ties, um, just friends, uh, comrades. Um, I think it's a, personally, I think it's a huge mistake when, um, especially in fantasy, anytime there's a masculine and a feminine character that they have to get together and hook up. Like, um, that's not always the case. Like, you can love somebody as family without, you know, seeking, you know, more amorous connections, I guess, words. <laughs> Anyways. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of First Drafts That Glow. Please do like and subscribe. You can also find me at nailsthatglow.com. Thanks again for joining me and, you know, having fun with me while I read these stories. Um, I look forward to, uh, you know, the next story. I'm not really sure what that one's going to be about. I might try horror again, but I always seem to fall into kind of a sci-fi thing when I do horror. Um, so I might need to give myself a, a larger prompt than um, just a couple words. Maybe that'll help. Who knows? Anyways, thanks again, and I'll see you next week. Here at First Draft Second Love. My name is Avon. <laughs>